0: Well, it's good to be here at First Baptist Coleman. It's good to be in Alabama. Uh, I grew up down the road here, moved to Mississippi when I was 14 years old, uh, met Janet, went to high school together. Uh, I talk about Alabama a lot, uh, and a uh, matter of fact, the church that I... I was a pastor up for 14 years. I was a staff evangelist there for 25. Jan, I've been there 39 years and just, uh, just retired and went back in on the road. But uh, I would tell my staff sometimes, I said, Boys, y'all need to get in your car, drive over across the state line, roll your window down, take a good deep breath. I said, It'll help you. It will. But you know, thank God for our wives. They keep us in place, don't they? Amen. My wife gave me two little plaques, two little plaques. And she told me, she said, now, I'm going to give these to you. And you can put this one up, but you can't put this one up without putting this one up. I said, yes, ma'am. The first one said, my roots are in Alabama sod, and I'm Southern by the grace of God. Bear Bryant taught me the meaning of pride and my Pledge of Allegiance is rolled tight. Oh, no. The other one said, I wasn't born in Mississippi, but I got here as fast as I can. And she told me, she said, You had to remember, Buster, you had to come to Mississippi to get a wife to get saved and get a wife. I said, Yes, ma'am. Amen. Now, God deals with us on the basis of honesty and integrity. As I told the first service, it's not hard to get people saved in America. It's hard to get people lost. You've got to get lost to get found. You've got to get wrong to get right. You've got to get down to get up. Jesus used multitudes of illustrations to illustrate being saved, and he used illustrations so simple that even a child could understand. Why? Because children are absolutely honest aren't they? You know what I'm talking about? You ever seen a mama's hand all of a sudden go across a little mouth all of a sudden? Hmm? They will tell you everything. They will tell you stuff they're not supposed to tell you. When I was a young college student pastoring, I was preaching one Sunday morning right in the middle of the service. I'm just a preaching place is filled with people right on the back row. A little boy about five years old stood up. I'm preaching now he stands up, puts his arms over the pew, and I hear this. He says, I wish he had shut up. He's a driving me crazy. <laughs> now, I'd always thought my sermons drove people crazy, but that kid told me. The best story I've heard about being honest was by a little girl. She was six years old. She had to go to the pediatrician. The little girl was absolutely terrified. Now, the doctor knew the little girl was scared, so he set her down on the examining table very tenderly, very gently. He began to examine the little girl. So he took the light, and he looked in her ear, and he said, well, do you reckon we'll find the cookie monster in there? Not a word. Not a word. He took the light and the tongue depressed her. He looked down her throat, and he said, well, do you reckon we'll find Big Bird in there? Still, not a word. Not a word. He took the stethoscope, placed it over her heart, and said, well, do you reckon we'll find Barney in there? And she looked up at him and said, no, sir. Said, Jesus is in my heart. Said, Barney's on my underwear. (laughs) That's pretty honest, all right? And so, be honest this morning. God is speaking to you, he is speaking to me. We're going to look this morning in the gospel according to Matthew chapter number 5. Matthew chapter 5, we're going to begin reading in verse number 20. And again, pastor, it's a great honor to be with you. I love your pastor. He is such a great man of God. Our people love him. Uh, You are blessed to have him as your pastor. And uh, y'all got a sweet, sweet Miss Preacher, Amen. Amen. Matthew 5, 6, and 7, those three chapters contain 111 verses. Those three chapters constitute what we call the Sermon on the Mount. Greatest sermon ever preached, preached by the greatest preacher who ever preached, the Lord Jesus. Now, in this sermon, he gives the Beatitudes. He begins the sermon with Beatitudes. And can you imagine as he's sitting there and all of those people are around him, scribes, Pharisees, rabbis, they were not there because they really wanted to hear, but they just didn't like Jesus. And they were doing everything they can to hurt Jesus. But can you imagine when Jesus said, bless it, bless it, bless it. I'm sure that at this point, even some of those old rough scribes and Those radical rabbis, even those old Pharisees probably said, you know what, that's pretty good preaching. But then Jesus began to move the sermon, and he began to deal with individuals. He began to deal with us, with people. And he began to deal with the real heart of the problem. Now remember, the problem of the heart is the heart of the problem. And so Jesus is speaking to our hearts. And Jesus began to deal with relationships. Now, you would agree that our country is in great need of revival. There's a great need spiritually. And we need God to do a work of grace. But remember, God does not have plan B. God has plan A the church. We are ground central, ground zero for World Mission Enterprises. You see, we are different because we are different. God is working in and through the church to reach the world. But God is not going to work through me if God is not working in me. And it is wrong for me to ask God to fix someone else if I'm not willing for God to fix me. Listen to what he says. Matthew 5, verse number 20. Let's stand in honor and reverence to the reading of the Word of God. Jesus said, for I say unto you. Nine times he's going to say that in this chapter. He's going to say it or five to, uh, 14 times in the, in, in the Sermon on the Mount. So Jesus is saying, listen, he is speaking with authority. Remember, one said, No man ever spake like this. He spake with authority. Jesus said, for I say unto you, that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, if you're going to go to heaven, then you're going to have to be more righteous than these scribes and Pharisees. Now, there was a saying that if if two men went to heaven, surely one would be a scribe, the other a Pharisee. Jesus said, you've got to be more righteous. Now, that blew everybody's boat out of the water because how are we going to be more righteous than these people? Look what he says continually. You have heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not kill. Whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, now listen to what he said, very important. He describes all of these things. Then he says, Therefore, what is it, therefore? What I've already told you. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar and remembers, you remember, there you remember, that thy brother hath aught against thee, leave. There thy gift before the altar. Go thy way. First, be reconciled to thy brother. You need to underline that. That is the prerequisite for the moving of God's power in the life of a believer, individually and in the life of a church corporately. And then come and offer thy gift. Agree with thine adversary quickly whilst thou art in the way with him, lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge, the judge deliver thee to the officer, and thou be cast into prison. Verily or truly I say unto thee, thou shalt by no means come out thence till thou hast paid the uttermost fathering. Jesus said you're not going to get out of jail till you have paid every last penny. Let's pray together. Father, in the name that is above every name, bless your word. Thank you for the wonderful time of worship. The time that as we've gathered to sing your praise. And now, as we open your word, Lord, will you open your word to us and open our hearts to receive, and God may it find lodging, may it bring forth fruit. Lord, there are needs here that only you know of, and we confess, Lord, that only you can make, only you can make a difference, only you can meet the need of the human heart. So, Father, we commit everything to you today. Give me power to preach to the end that someone would believe and that in believing they might be saved. And God, bless this time and draw your net. Bind the evil one from this place, Lord. In Jesus' strong name, and all of God's people said, amen. You may be seated. What is Jesus talking about? Jesus is talking about worship. Now, he grabs their attention. Because, remember, the Levitical sacrificial system was still intact during that time. And so, Jesus makes this proclamation. He vocalizes this. He states it to where they hear what he is saying. And Jesus said, hey, when you come to worship, bring your gift to the altar, and you remember Not somebody remembers, you remember. That your brother has a problem with you, he said, leave your gift. Say that with me. Leave your gift. That word leave in the tense of the Greek language, the verb, literally means to do that immediately. There is no hesitation. None. Don't vote on it. Don't get a committee to study it. Do it. Jesus said, go, leave, immediately. And you go and you first be reconciled to your brother. So Jesus is talking to us. He's talking to us. Listen, an unforgiving spirit keeps more people from the power of God than any other thing. D.L. Moody said that over a hundred years ago. I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, that an unforgiving spirit is like a dam that is holding back the power of God and the blessings of God upon the people of God. And it would be so wrong for me to ask God, God, will you fix so-and-so without God fixing me? every person here has a need. God knows your need. There's someone here, you have no understanding what I'm talking about because you have no relationship with Jesus. Oh, you've heard about him. You you may even believe in him. A lot of people are going to miss heaven this far. Intellectually, they have believed the tenets of the faith, but salvation is a matter of the heart. And so Jesus is striking our hearts. He's talking about us as as his children. He said, you're going to worship. Leave your gift. Go get right. Then you can come back and go to church. Now, what would happen if every church in Alabama, every Southern Baptist church in Alabama, pastor got up this morning and said, all right, ladies and gentlemen, this is what we're going to do today. We are going to first Be reconciled to our brother. And so we're going to have a prayer, and then everybody's going to leave. And let's go, and let's be reconciled. And we're going to meet back this afternoon in a few hours, and we're going to worship. Woo! Talking about having some church. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. Why? Because we have obeyed God. We've obeyed the Lord. What is obedience? Obedience to God is doing what God says, when God says it, how God says it, and where God says it. And if you leave any of those out, then you've been totally disobedient to God. God said, go do it. That is the proclamation Jesus gives to us. Now, probably every person here has already had a thought in your mind, maybe some Someone else. There's probably someone that said this, wow, man, I wish so-and-so was here. (laughs) They're not. Talking to you and to me. It's us. God's speaking to today. That we must hear the voice of God and do what he says. Now, if this is the typical average church, then there's probably somebody here crossed up with somebody else. That may not be in the fellowship. I and mean, Y'all got a really sweet fellowship. It may not be in your home. It could be. It may be among siblings. It may be among a neighbor, a co-worker, or something, somebody. There's some problem with someone else. And God says, if you're going to worship, if you're going to worship, and remember, ladies and gentlemen, worship. And thank you, Brandon. You did a great job. And Super Chuck, where you at, man? (laughs) Awesome. Good job. Man, I know you can play the guitar, son. You look like you was having a good time. That was good. They led us in worship. Wonderful worship. Thank you, team. Y'all did a great job. But listen to me. Worship is not an event. Worship is a lifestyle. And we cannot worship God properly if we're not right on the inside. You see, in being a Christian, all you got to do is you surrender to Jesus. You just let what's on the inside get on the outside, you're just loving Jesus. And it's going to cause you to love other people. So that's the proclamation that Jesus gives when he says, for I say unto you. Now, the people didn't know the word. The rabbis, the scribes, the Pharisees, there was a thing called the Mishnah, 613 laws that they had made that literally they said, You've got to do this because this is how you interpret the law. And they'd put people in bondage. Let me tell you something. Jesus said, I'm come that you might be what? Free. I've come to give you life. God wants you to be free. But yet, so many times, we come to church and we're in bondage. Why? Because we have not done what God says is a prerequisite to worship. And that is the matter of forgiveness. So, that is the proclamation that Jesus gives. Now, look at the second thing. Look at the priority that Jesus establishes. He's talking about worship. What's he saying? He's saying that reconciliation is indispensable to our relationship and fellowship with God. If you cannot forgive, then you have never known forgiveness. Did you understand that? If you can't forgive, then you've never known forgiveness. How do we forgive? Through the forgiveness of God that was shown to us and given to us when Jesus shed his blood on the cross. What did Jesus say? Father, forgive them. Why? Because they do not know what they're doing. And folks, most of the time we get in trouble because a lot of times we don't know what we're doing. Amen? Yeah. You see, My vertical relationship with Jesus, this is Jesus to me, me to Jesus, you to Jesus, Jesus to you. Vertical relationship sits upon the horizontal platform of our relationship to other people. You got it? Husband, wife, wife, husband, son, daughter, brother, sister, friends, cousins, co workers, neighbors. That's the horizontal platform upon which sits the vertical relationship that we have with the Lord Jesus. Now, this is how our life should look balanced in the Lord. But what happens? When we get on the outs, or somebody gets on the outs with us, then that horizontal platform is broken. And when that horizontal platform is broken, our vertical relationship with Jesus falls flat on its face. And there's no word from God. There's no anointing. There's no power. There's no joy. There's no happiness. None. Brandon, Chuck, I know why a lot of people don't sing. Because you don't have anything to sing about. Man, listen. The joy of the Lord is my strength. We ought to make some racket when we come in here. Amen? Yes. lady told me, said, a preacher You don't need to get so excited. I'm not going to be excited. I'm not going to do that. Why? I don't want anybody to think that I'm a Pentecostal. I said, you ain't got nothing to worry about. You can be theologically sound, biblically, doctrinally correct, and be excited about going to heaven, hallelujah. And we're going to be trying to take everybody that we know to heaven with us. How do we get in trouble? This. James said it's a world of fire. Hmm? You ever had a problem with your tongue? Hmm? Have you ever thought God gave us two ears and one mouth that we should listen twice as much as we talk? Hmm? Yeah. Some of you ladies say, oh, oh. Preacher, my husband. He just doesn't talk. He just, he'll come home, he just doesn't talk. Now, I, I'm not going to, I don't mean to hurt your feelings, but I need to tell you something that's going to maybe help the situation. Psychologists tell us that the average man th- speaks 12,500 words a day, okay? The average woman speaks 25,000 words a day. So when he gets home, he has fulfilled his quota, and you're just getting warmed up. Amen? So you got to work with him, all right? got to work with him. But now listen to me. Have you ever said something, and it just gets about right here, and all of a sudden, for no reason, it takes a severe left turn? You did not mean that to come out that way? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. It's all happened to us. Well, see what happens it all starts with the word of hurt, whether it was intentional or non-intentional. You know, the guy who said and wrote, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That guy was crazy. Words can destroy you. You can get on social media today, and boy, we got so many mental mitches getting behind the keyboard, and boy, they're brave, and they'll just say all kinds of stuff. You can ruin someone. God help us. Words, words, words. And so what happens, the word of hurt, it bruises our hearts, and it's received. Now, this is the problem that many believers have. We are too superficial when God says we ought to be supernatural. In other words, we just kind of, you know, I'm okay. That doesn't bother me. That's all. Go ahead. That's all right. Hmm? I remember when I was playing baseball, and uh, I got hit by a pitch. You guys know what I'm talking about? The coach says, walk it off. What? Walk it off? Who came up with that idea? Like, it's going to go away. But because we're guys, we don't want anybody to know, we grimace. You all right? Yeah, you you, you 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 may have a hematoma that big. Yeah, I'm fine. See, that's what we do in the church. We get stung, we get wounded. I'm okay, I'm okay. At home, there, there there's a problem husband wife. I'm okay, I'm okay. There's someone in this building. You're not okay. You have no power with God because you will not release something that happened 25 years ago. Yes, it was horrible. Yes, it was wrong. Yes, you were innocent. But listen to me. God is greater than that. Great is His mercy and His grace. And God said, let me help you. I can bring healing. We can't. Listen, folks, there's some things you will never get over. But by the grace of God, You can get through. You can get through. That word of hurt bruises our heart. So it's planted in the field of sorrow when we don't deal with it. We just kind of let it stay there. We don't talk about it. We won't tell anybody anything. And keep it all closed up. But it does not grow up. It grows down. That's why the writer of Hebrews says, Beware lest a root of bitterness be found in you. See, what happens, it doesn't manifest itself at first. This is the reason we think everything's cool, because we don't see anything. Everything seems to be okay. But what happens, it is establishing in your heart, which is the seat of your will, it grabs hold and gets a root system. Once it has that root system, then... You begin to change. Why? Because from the root of bitterness grows the fruit of hate. People that are filled with hate, that's not their problem. The problem is the root of bitterness. I told the early crowd this morning I I don't like to weed eat. I don't. I don't. Uh, I just got tired of weed eating. You know why? Because you got to do it again. You'll do it one week. Next week, you look at it. Well, my soul, it doesn't look like I've done anything. Have to do it again. And and it just, you ever seen this? You know, got a neighbor, you, you see them out there, and they got their straw hat on, and they're just weed eating. You'll see them out another day. They're weed eating. And you began to wonder, Lord, is that all they do in their life is weed eat? You know? Well, I got tired of that. So, you know what I did? I think I went down to Lowe's and I bought me some Roundup spray nozzle. I took that Roundup and I went up the driveway and I came down the driveway you come to our house you're going to look it looks like we have racing stripes down the driveway I don't have to weed it you know why because I killed the grass so you know why because I found out the problem was not the grass the problem was the root and you see you got to pull out the root only God's grace can pull out the root and you know what have you ever pulled out roots? You, you, you ever weeded your flower garden or flower bed and you pull those out? Boy, some of them, man, they're long. But you have to pull them out. And sometimes it's painful. But you will never deal with it until you admit that it's there. Honesty. Honesty. And so this is the priority Jesus is talking about. He said, be quick to make it right. If you don't, sins, if you don't repent of this, sin is going to catch up with you, and you're gonna to have to make full restitution and you're gonna suffer the penalties. Do you understand? He said, You're angry with your brother without a cause. And you correct me, Pastor, but I, I believe in the in the original language, that's not even if you're angry. It doesn't matter whether you got a cause or not. No. You're in danger of judgment. Two or three witnesses. Let every word be established by two or three witnesses there in the synagogue. Hey, we're gonna deal with this. If that doesn't work out, you could you could head to the Supreme Court, the Sanhedrin. You don't deal with this; you're in danger of hellfire. This is serious. This is serious. Jesus said, "You don't call anybody a fool." I used to think when I was a little boy, if you call somebody a fool, you died immediately and went to hell on the spot. I, but that's not exactly what he said. The term there is the term "moros." It's where we get our term "moron." He said, "Don't call, don't say, Raka. Raka is almost a non-translatable term from the Greek to the English. It is the closest thing we can get to it is a term of grave insult. Maybe calling someone an empty-headed idiot. You've never done that when you're driving, hmm?" Jesus said these terms, you don't go around insulting people. You, you don't question people's integrity. Hey, Jesus said, your job, get right. Get right. Now, look at the plan that Jesus gives. Leave your gift, first be reconciled to your brother. You said, Brother Dan, okay, what if I go to someone? And, or I've tried to go, and, and they won't let it go. You are free. You did what the book said. The burden is off of you. It's all on them. Amen? That's right. These people think, just because the monkeys not off their back. That, you know, that doesn't mean the circus has left town. Amen? Listen to me. God is going to deal with that. You have obeyed the Lord, you are free. But it's responsibility to do it. You say, well, I didn't do anything. It was them I did. First, be reconciled to your brother. They didn't nail you to a cross. No. Listen, listen. You say, what if what if I got a problem with someone and they don't know it? Should I go to them and tell them that I don't like them? No. Can you imagine me standing down here and the invitation given, and you come down the aisle and you're just all tore up? You just, oh. And you grab me by the hands. No, Brother Dan, will you forgive me? I don't even know you. But I'll say, sure. Why? Because I don't like you. Now, I find that hard to believe because I am a really nice guy. Well, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to say, well, sure. You're going to go back to your seat, and you're going to have liberty. You're going to feel great. I'm going to be sitting here thinking, Lord, I hadn't been here about four or five minutes. How did, what did I do? I don't even know this person, you know? And then if I have to get around you, I'm going to be so nervous around you and so paranoid, I will probably inadvertently offend you. So it's not going to do me any good. So what do you do? Practice Mark 11. If you have aught in your heart against anyone, stand, for, pray, forgive. But if it's out there, you've got to deal with it. You've got to deal with it. Now, what Jesus is telling us, is that when you or I refuse to let something go. See, listen, I've heard people say, I don't feel like forgiving. You never will. Because forgiveness is not an emotion. Forgiveness is an act of your will. You understand that? It's like people saying, well, I don't feel saved. You're not saved by your feelings. We're saved by faith. It's fact. What does God say? What Jesus do? Now, what happens is when you fail to forgive someone, you put them in prison. Debtor's prison. That's what Jesus is talking about. You're, they're in jail. Now, you may think, I got you. Let me tell you something. Bitterness does more damage in the vessel in which it's stored than upon the vessel in which it's poured. You see, you may not realize this, but once you put them in jail, guess who occupies the cell next door? You do. In other words, you're just as in prison as they are. Now, this is a weird prison because there are no locks on the door. But they cannot get out until you are willing to step out. See, most everybody's got one of these. This is called an accounts payable book. And you're good at with it. Most people are. What, what do you mean? You bring it to church. Ooh, a lot of people, they bring it to church. Matter of fact, get out of the car with it. Hmm. Brother Tom, he didn't shake my hand. <laughs> I owe you. Hmm. Brother Brandon didn't sing the song I liked. I owe you. My Sunday school teacher didn't call me when I stumped my toe. Uh, I owe you. So-and-so didn't say, hi, I owe you. I didn't get invited to their get-together, I owe you. I didn't get the I owe you, I owe you, I owe you, I owe you. What does that mean? It means I'll pay you back. I owe you something. And most people are good on these. understand that we keep it with it and we cherish it this is what forgiveness is not feeling like it and I've heard people say well I'll forgive but I can't forget well who told you you could it's not in the book there's only one that can willfully forget and that is the Lord God Almighty and friend when you come to Jesus it's over He forgives, and he forgets. We don't have that capability in this old body. But friend, when you deal with it, this is what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is taking this out and saying before the Lord, God, they do not owe me a dime. Whether they receive it or not, It's over. And I'm going to be sweet like Jesus and love people and love them. That's what we're supposed to do. And that's what our attract people say something has happened to you that's never happened to me. I hated my dad. We grew up in Bessemer, Alabama. My dad worked for Pullman Standard Car Building Corporation, and my dad was a drunk. The reason I'm here today saved and preaching is because on a little red clay hill in Newton County, Mississippi, my grandmother and my granddaddy wept us to the feet of Jesus. They did. My dad broke his health, almost died, Had to retire, no pension, with no place to live. I moved 11 times by the time I was 18 years old. We had to leave Bessemer, Alabama. I grew up with street lights, asphalt, people. We moved to Route 2, Decatur, Mississippi, rural route. We moved so far back in the woods, we could hunt toward town. (laughs) We moved to the country. I hated my daddy. They put us on Social Security. You know what that is? Slow starvation. We went from hero to zero. Had to leave all my friends, everything. My daddy was still a drunk. It's not your environment, it's your heart. But a pastor came and told my daddy that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to this earth and lived without sin and went to the cross at Calvary and was crucified there. Because he loved my daddy. And he wanted my daddy to be in heaven with him. That preacher never hit my daddy with the Bible, never told him he messed our life up, never told him anything except, Pete, Jesus died for you. He loves you. He'll forgive you. And friend, one day my daddy got saved. I'd never been around anybody all the time that was saved. That's why every man needs to be saved, because every blessing, every curse comes to the home is going to come through the man. And you are the light in the home. You illuminate the home. Friend, when daddy came back to our house, he was lit up for Jesus. He didn't know anything about the Bible. He thought the book of Job was the book of Job and book of Psalms, the book of Psalms. He didn't know. He got saved. People asked me, he said, well, did he quit drinking? No, not really. He just switched fountains. Once he got a drink of that living water, that was it. <laughs> he poured all the beer out of the refrigerator, set his his four boys down there, and he said, boy, as long as you live here, you're going to go to church. We didn't even vote on it. <laughs> we went to everything. We went to stuff I know we weren't supposed to go to. Listen, when your whole family shows up at a baby shower, something's wrong. <laughs> but I hated him. When that man got saved, he came back in our home saved. I had enough common sense. I joined the church. I've been baptized, huh? But I had enough common sense to know something happened to that man. never happened to me. And I got under deep conviction of the Holy Spirit. And I began to listen And I began to hear the gospel. And I had to lose my religion to come to Jesus. And I got saved. And I'm telling you, that night, March the 2nd, 1975, as a 17-year-old boy, when I stood up from that altar, my pastor had led me to Christ. When I stood up after praying to receive Jesus and turned around, there stood my daddy. And I can still tell you how it was when he embraced me. And I'm telling you what. All of that bitterness, all of that hate, all of that unforgiveness, God removed it just like that. He did. Let it go. Did you know that through my dad coming to Jesus, our whole family got saved? Yeah. Most of our people here in Alabama, and I'm not casting off on Alabama, but most of our people here in Alabama were a bunch of heathens. Uncle and the nightclub. I mean, they were involved in everything. Did you know I led most all of them to Jesus? See, when you forgive, when you know forgiveness, you let it go. There's someone here you need to forgive. You need to let it go. Doesn't matter whose fault or anything was, let it go. Tear up the IOU. Fall in love with Jesus and let him work in and through your life. If you have never received Christ, then come. Only he can forgive your sins. Maybe you need to come and pray here today for someone. Maybe you need to come and talk to pastor or staff. Maybe today you need a church home. Everybody needs a heavenly home, a physical home, and a church home. Maybe you need to come and be a part of First Baptist Church. Maybe you need to go home and call somebody, go see somebody, write a letter. You may need to go to the cemetery and have a talk. Let it go. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. Pastor Tom's going to come, staff's going to come, we're going to pray, we're going to sing. All I ask you to do is obey the Lord. Say, Pastor, my heart is tore up. I don't know what I'd say to Pastor.